sounds good. Good morning, church. <laughs> well, I have to wait till they do like this. So <clears throat> it's great to see all of you guys here today. And if you're uh, visiting with us at Grace, we are certainly glad that you're a part of our service today. I uh, wanted to just make an announcement about a fellowship uh, coming up July the 30th. I don't know if you've seen already some advertisement about it, but it's going to be uh, after the morning service, and um, it's uh, we're going to have steak and shakes. That sound pretty good, steak and shakes? So I wanted to kind of give you guys, guys an idea of how it was going to break down for you uh, if you sign up and kind of what this looks like. So, you know, there's lots of different types of steaks, and um, so this is the fellowship on July 30th. It'll be right after the morning service, and... Um, there's a steak. Uh, it's a ground steak. You know, I, I don't know. That doesn't look too edible to me. Um, that's one option, and um, hopefully you won't pick that option. And then there's the tube steak. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. You know, there is nothing like a hot dog at a ballpark. I don't know where they get them from, and I don't ask. But something about making your own is just not real good. And then uh, we have my steak. Now, what that means is that's my steak. In other words, that day I'll be having that kind of steak. And um, I'll let you sample it if there's enough. And then uh, recently I was in a restaurant and, um, with my grandkids. And um, so we bought this huge steak and I tried to share it with them. That didn't work out too well. But that's going to be my steak. And then this is going to be, whoa, that's going to be your steak, okay? <laughs> So we're going to have uh, steak and shakes, and I don't know what flavor of shakes. I love vanilla. It's hard to get away from vanilla. I'm just a vanilla guy. Um, but anyway, we're going to have a good time, and it's important that the body of Christ uh, fellowship together. Uh, this is fellowship right now because we're fellowshipping around the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. But there's also that you know, just relational piece that's really important for us as a congregation. And so even if you're visiting with us today, we'd love for you to be a part of that come July 30th. And I think there'll be some things set up there for the kids as well to do uh, as we're fellowshipping. So I would encourage you to, to sign up. We'll start putting those sign-ups out so that you can uh, 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 sign up and, and be a part of that fellowship. I wanted to make mention this morning of the fact that the Belize team did arrive in Belize uh, safely. Uh, I got a, a text message picture this morning from uh, Brian Nichols, and uh, the team looks looks well, and uh, they had a safe trip there, and we'll just pray for their week of ministry as they are uh, serving the Lord there in Belize, and for some of them, it's their first mission trip, and so we want to certainly pray for them, and we're thankful to the Lord that our Texas uh, guys returned back uh, this last week and uh, had a good good mission trip there. And uh, we look forward to hearing from these different ones about what the Lord, you know, has been doing in their lives. So just wanted to make mention of that. And you can keep those folks in your prayers that have returned and that are currently in Belize. Well, we are at the end of 1 John. Um, I'm, I figured y'all would be like, hallelujah. But maybe you are. You just don't want to throw it out there. But um, it's been for me... Um, like a really um, growth time in terms of trusting God. It's one of the hardest books I've ever studied in the entire scriptures. I've heard guys preach through Revelation and preach through Hebrews, 
You don't hear many guys go through First John, and I know why now, <laughs> um, because it's very difficult, and there's two different big perspectives, and there's a lot of, uh, why, why would we say discussion around those perspectives, so, but it's been very, very important, I think, in my life as a Christian, so I hope it's been challenging for you as well, and today we end up with the subject of family. That's our, that's our subject this morning. That's how John ends it. And I want to take an opportunity to read over those verses right now with you. And so if you can take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 5. We will read verses 18 through uh, 21. All right, 1 John 5, 18 through 21. I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read the Word of God together. John writes, We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life Little children, born ones, guard yourselves from idols. May the Lord bless His Word as it's been read this morning. Let's bow together and ask the Lord to help us, all right? Lord, we need Your help to be able to honor You this morning. Thank You, Father, You have not left us alone, but Your Spirit indwells us. Thank you, Father, that we have a letter that's been given to us, a love letter, that helps us to better understand our relationship with you, Father, through Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that at this church, at this, in this assembly, we honor your word. We have many tremendous Bible teachers, uh, men and women, who use their gifts for your glory. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful that the central focus is the Word of God and the Gospel of Christ and not the entertainment of men. I pray that as we close out this letter that John has written, that we would consider what he says about family and um, what we can know and do know. And know without a doubt. And so I pray that this message would encourage us today. That through your word uh, we might be challenged to a spiritual growth. And that we might be changed. In order that we would bring honor and glory to your name. Father, please help us as we worship this morning. In the name of Christ I pray. Amen.
We're just speaking of family. We're all here together as the family of God. And as a family that's gathered together, we're all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that relationship, a special relationship with him. Only, only our God gives us the opportunity of having that kind of relationship. And we're so thankful. We can have the assurance that Jesus is ours. And that's what we're going to sing. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Let's all sing together. Maybe.
Christ and alone, our hope is found. Let's say that together. God's people say thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. 
sing together. Glory to the Lamb.
Let's all pray, maybe. Father, we just thank you that you are a true father to us. God, as we're family, we are here together because of you. Lord, you have borne us into your family. And Lord, we are so thankful that we can have such a wonderful relationship with you, that we can come to you anytime, any place. And Lord, we can trust you. And Lord, we can come to you knowing that we can come to with everything we have, everything we feel like we need or we want, Lord, we can come to you. And Lord, as our Father, we know that we know that you are good. We know that you love us and we know that you care for us and that everything that you're going to have for us, Lord, will be for our good as we learn in your word. So God, we just want to thank you that you are such a wonderful, loving Savior, such a wonderful, loving Father that we can come and we can enjoy our fellowship with you. We can gather around your table and we can sing your songs. We can speak of you and we can honor you. And Lord, that's why we are here this morning. So God, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. And Lord, we just pray all these things in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. nineteen seventy nine there was a group called Sister Sledge. You remember the song they came out with We Are Family I got all my sisters with me, right? We are family. Get up everybody sing. Right? You remember that? All right, that's the end of the sermon. We're gonna go home. <laughs> You know, all of us have a sense of um, needing to belong, right, as family. Uh, we want to be a part of a family. Uh, there are children today that um, are longing to be adopted, to be a part of a family. What John does here in First John is really close out this section in a very unique way because he's writing with confidence that he and the apostles, at least, are part of a family. And if we take that beyond John and the other apostles, he's saying to these believers that he's writing to, we're family. And as family, there are things that we absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt. Have you ever brought your children into the family room and said to them, these are things that you can know without a shadow of a doubt? That's exactly what John is doing with these believers. He's inviting them into the living room, and he's going to say to them, listen, we know these things without a shadow of a doubt. He uses that word know three times in 18, 19, and 20, and it means to know without a doubt. You can count on it. And so that's the confidence with which he is writing. There's a fourth time that he uses the word no. 
And it's not the same word, and we'll get to that in verse 20. But he wants his audience to know that they have things that they can count on as a member of the family of God. Isn't that good? Can we just pause and think about that for a second? It's good to know certain things being a member of the family of God. What are the things that you know about being a member of the family of God? Well, we know that we're forever His. We know that we will forever be with Him one day. We know that we will forever be with other family members, meaning those who belong to Christ, one day. When death takes place on earth of a believer, it is a stopping point for all of us as we consider their home going. But we're able to leave with confidence. We can count on the fact that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and as a person who knows Christ, they're with Him, and one day we all who are family will be with them. That's good stuff. I mean, if I'm one of these guys reading this, I'm like, man, John's pretty pumped up, right? It's like a pep rally at school. He's just wanting them to know, hey, we can know these things and be confident. What are the things that John writes about that we can count on? And there's three. That's how I've broken them up as it relates to family. First of all, we need to know that we have security, right? We have security. We have family security. You think about... People today in the word security and all the things that they would say, oh, we're secure in this and we're secure in that. And when they're talking about being secure, they're talking about their finances. They're talking about their wonderful vehicles, right, that are never going to break down. I had to go to Tennessee the last couple of days and pick up a vehicle. And um, Teresa had broke down, and um, I had to go up to Clarksville, Tennessee, and rent a trailer and put that thing on my truck, and, and haul it back here. Well, I had no security that that, I have had no security that van that she's driving would last forever. It's not going to, okay? One day it's going to break down, it's done that, and it just might be dead. So there's a lot of things as we think about our world that people put all their chips in and say, oh, I'm securing this, I'm securing this, I'm securing this. And when we look at the Word of God, we can know for certain that we're secure in Him. That's what we can know. And John says that in verse 18, that we have family security. Look at what he writes in verse 18. He says, we know that no one who is born of God sins. Oh no, we're back to that again. You remember in chapter 3, we looked at that. Does that mean that those who belong to the Lord don't sin? That's not what that means. What does it mean? Well, there's a couple of different viewpoints, and I want to give them to you. I've been faithful, hopefully, to do that all along the way, and I want to make sure I do that this morning. One of the viewpoints of that statement is that John is referring to the fact that believers do not habitually sin, or sin habitually. And um, we've talked about that before, and, and, and we don't want to just talk about that to the point of nauseam again, because we've discussed it. I personally believe that a believer can habitually sin, and I think there are examples of that in Scripture. 
where there are people who did not finish the Christian life well, um, who you look at and say, well, they had a problem with the world. The Bible does not say that Demas was not a believer. The Bible says that Demas loved the world. Okay, it's very important that we're accurate about what the Bible says. Okay, the Bible says Paul wrote that Demas forsook him. Okay, he didn't put the Lord in that statement. And so some come to the conclusion, well, since he forsook Paul, then that means he wasn't a believer. That's not what it says. It says he loved the world. That's what it says. So one of the viewpoints is that this is talking about habitual sin. John MacArthur writes in holding this viewpoint, he said, one who is born again does not have a pattern of sin in their life. The Christian cannot habitually live in violation of God's law, which reflects the viewpoint that he has as it relates to this particular text. The second viewpoint is that John is referring to the new nature of the believer after he is born again. So that when God gives his nature to his child, that new nature, that nature cannot sin. You say, that, that's really complex. It sure is. And you know one who understood that? The Apostle Paul. Because he writes about the conflict of the two natures in the book of Romans. And what does he say? The very things I don't want to do, I find myself what? Doing. I'm serving that old man. Right? So this is another viewpoint that some have. And I, I lean to this viewpoint. Uh, J. Dwight Pentecost wrote in writing about this. Wrote, God has imparted his own nature to the believer. Right? He's given the believer his own nature. And in that nature, there is no sin. Well, that would be accurate. In the nature of Christ, there is no sin. He says the child of God sins only by refusing to permit the new nature to operate within him. Well, we understand what that is, don't we? Right? The battle is against what? The flesh. Every single day we get up, there's a battle that's going on. I'm either going to be controlled by the Spirit of God... I'm going to be controlled by the flesh. That's the argument that Paul writes about in the New Testament. He says, Pentecost goes on to say, before we were born again, we were under the control. This is very important here. Under the control of sin. That's what we knew, right? That's what we knew. That's who we were. Because we possessed only a fallen nature. We didn't have the divine nature yet. He says, but now we do. And when we sin, we sin at the risk, or, or he says, when we sin, we sin at the risk of divine discipline, which we talked about last week. You remember that? We talked about the risk of just rebellion in the life of a Christian. So, listen, you go home, you study it, and may the Lord be with you as you do, and you'll land in one of those two camps. I land in the, in the camp there that he's talking about the new nature when he says... We know that no one who is born of God sins because we understand completely that believers do sin. But I believe he's talking about the nature there, the new nature. So he says, we know that no one who is born of God sins. You say, that where's the security? Here it is. But he who was born of God. Now, I want you to notice the difference. Notice what it says, verse 18. No one who is born of God, present tense, sins. But he who was born, uh-oh, that's different. Right? You don't have to be an intelligent um, English major to figure out the difference in those. In fact, they're different in, in the verb usage. 
It's an aorist tense. It points back to a definitive time. So who in the world is he talking about? But he who was born of God keeps him. Now in the um, King James translation it has, but he who was born of God keeps himself. That's not a really good translation. Unless your viewpoint is that you keep yourself from the evil one. And if your viewpoint is that you keep yourself from the evil one, then the King James translation is okay with you. But if you believe that it is the Lord who keeps you, then you believe that what he's talking about here is the incarnation. That he who was born of God or begotten of God is the word there in the Greek. Keeps him. Well, that sounds different to me. Doesn't that sound different to you? It sounds different. You need to think about that maybe for a minute. Because there's one thing to keep yourself. It's another, self, another thing for the Lord to keep you. And those are two different things. Now that does not devoid man of the responsibility of watching over his life. That's not what we're saying. What we're talking about here is something even greater than that that you're going to see that as we come to that third phrase. But he who was born of God keeps him. So the Lord keeps us. Do you believe that? Gee, I hope you do. I hope you don't believe you keep yourself. I just, I really, in fact, the better translations have the word him, not himself. And that might be some hard for some to get a grasp of. But this, John is not saying that we keep ourselves. He's saying that the Lord keeps us. In fact, it's interesting, the Apostle John would have uh, known this to be a fact. I need you to uh, have your... A thumb in John 17. John 17. This is a very important passage. You just need to keep your finger there because we're going to go back to it a few times. In John 17, we're told that the Lord keeps those that belong to him. Okay, that's very important. Um, he does that. He's faithful to do that. So I just wanted to give you an example of that here in the Gospel of John chapter 17. This is in the context of the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. Now, some look at um, Matthew and say, well, that's the Lord's prayer. No. Matthew 6 is the prayer he's teaching his disciples. This is the Lord's prayer. Okay, I think that's very important to be accurate about that. Um, There's a big, big difference. And in his prayer, in his high priestly prayer, in verse 12, it says, while I was with them, them being the apostles, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. He was doing what? Keeping them. That word keeping there means guarding them. Okay? So the Bible tells us in John 17 that he kept the disciples. And we know that Judas was ultimately not one of those who belonged to the Lord, as it goes on to indicate in that verse. But the Bible tells us here in 1 John chapter 5 that it is the Lord who keeps us. Now, is the security of the believer wrapped up? Here's a question for you to think about. Is the security of the believer wrapped up in not practicing sin or the Lord holding on to you? I mean, it's a question that if you read commentaries, these theologians are going to banter about and argue and discuss And we don't want to argue. I just want to say this to you, that 
the Lord himself is the one who keeps us. I think that's really important to understand. And the best translation there is not him in verse 18, but I mean, not himself in verse 18, but him. So he says, but he who was born of God keeps him. So the Lord Jesus keeps the believer. Now, here's what's interesting as you consider this more of this security piece. That last phrase is just packed, right? It is just packed. Listen to this. And the evil one does not touch him. Well, who's the evil one? Satan's the evil one. And we look at this, we go, hold on a second. That doesn't make any sense. The evil one does not touch him. When we think about touch, what do we think about? Touch, right? I touch you, you touch me. Uh, that's not the word. In fact, it's a very interesting word in the Greek language. The words used, you'll recognize it in a couple of different contexts that are very, very interesting. Um, the word uh, touch there has to do with clinging on to something, holding on to something. And in that context, in that culture, it was holding on at times to the, to the hope that they would be able to separate something. Oh, well, that's different. It's not just touching. So what's John saying? He's saying he was born of God, Jesus Christ, keeps him, the believer, and the evil one does not separate him. That's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? The evil one does not separate. In fact, the evil one can't separate us from the Lord. Do you understand that? He can't do that. There's two different contexts where the word touch or cling is really the better term there is used you remember the woman who had the issue of blood and the bible says he that she touched the hem of his garment the accurate translation she grabbed the hem of his garment okay and then you remember mary after seeing the lord it says that she was clinging to him. You remember that context in John 20? She was grabbing him to separate. What does Jesus say? You remember? You remember what Jesus says? You don't remember. Please turn in your Bibles. I want to show you this. I want to show you I'm not making this up. All right? John chapter 20. Listen to what it says. John chapter 20, verse... Let's start in verse uh, 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging. Same word. Now, if you read it here in 1 John, you're like, touch, oh. But when you come to the Gospel of John, that's a little bit different, right? Same term. Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Right? So... That's another example of where the word is used. It means more than just to touch something. So the Bible says here that the evil one does not cling to him or separate him. In fact, there's a, um, a quote here um, by W.E. Vine that I found pretty interesting in commenting on this verse. He said, the evil one cannot sever the connection between the believer and Christ. You like that? 
That doesn't mean that the evil one cannot influence us. That doesn't mean that the evil one does not tempt, right? But it does mean this, that the evil one cannot pull me away from my Lord in terms of my position, right? Always the Lord's. I always belong to him. I always belong to him. So in verse 18, John is speaking about family security. All right, so he says, We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God, being Jesus Christ, keeps him, and the evil one does not separate him. You want eternal security or security for the believer? Boy, verse 18 is pretty good. Right? Pretty good. All right, so in the family we have security, in the family of God. We have an identity. Look at verse 19. We have an identity. Um, boy, there's a subject that people are discussing today, identity, right? right? I mean, it's just rampant. Who am I? Who was I? Who am I? Who am I going to be? I mean, it's like people are searching. And we look at it in our culture today and we go, what are you doing? Right? For some of us, especially those of us who are a little older and a little more gray and been around a long time and some of these discussions that are going on today in our culture, we didn't have those discussions growing up. We didn't have as many issues with this identity piece. Well, John talks about the identity of the believer. You say, where is it? Well, I'm going to show you right now. He says, without a doubt, look at verse 19. Remember that word no means without a doubt. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You say, Thad, where are you getting that identity? First phrase. That phrase, he says, we know without a doubt that we are of God. That phrase of God has to do with possession. <laughs> We're owned by him. You like that? I love it. We are owned by the Lord. We are God's possession. We belong to Him. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but that's important to remember. And obviously, the Lord Jesus Himself wanted these uh, disciples in John 17 to know the same thing. So flip back to John 17. I want to read a couple of verses for you here, which talks about the fact that we are possessed by the Lord. We belong to Him. You know, we use phrases like, we are God's children. Well, that's absolutely right. We belong to Him. Right? I have three sons. I can say, they belong to me. And they do. Caleb, Micah, and Andrew are my sons. Not just mine, Teresa's sons as well. But they, they belong to me. Part of their identity is wrapped up in the fact that I am their father and they are my children. Will they ever stop being my children? No. Will I ever stop being their father? Hey, really? Take this out. We're never going to stop being children of God. We will always be God's children. I like that. Well, as John's recording the things that Jesus said... I think it's verse 6 and verse 9. So we'll just read 6 through 9. Look at this. Jesus says, I have manifested your name 
to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. Whew. That's good stuff. And they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. Guys, you know what that speaks of? Just that little phrase, love. God loves us. And part of the love that is demonstrated, that has been demonstrated to us, is that he's given us this. You understand that? And understand what it would have been like in the first century world, right? And not having all of this, how valuable was it for them to hear the Old Testament, to hear the letters that were being written. And for us, we, we can pick up multiple copies. And so what he says in verse 8, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them. There's a message in that. This is not the message for this morning, but you know the message here is that Jesus gave to his disciples what the Father gave to him. You know how we apply that? We need to give to people today the word of God. But we got to give them something else because they're not going to listen. Okay, they're not going to listen. Give them the word of God. The word of God is the truth. The truth. You say, yeah, but it's hard sometimes. It's a hard lot. But the one that loves you and me the most, being his children, he has given to us a protection plan. That's the scriptures. And so, that's part of this identity thing. But the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. But of those whom you have given me. For they are yours. Wow. They belong to God. So when people think today. Of the question. Who do you belong to? Ultimately who do you belong to? Here's the thing. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That's just the truth. So the Bible says. You're either going to remain in your sins or you're going to be covered with the righteousness of Christ. I sure do like that covering. I don't know about you, but I like it. Well, John, as he's writing to these believers in 1 John, he says, we know that we are of God. We belong to him. You know, I think about how tough it must be for these kids who don't have homes, you know, these days. Um, there's so many out there today, so many opportunities for adoption, so many children without homes. I think, man, how difficult must that be to grow up in a home where there's just no sense of belonging, you know? I'm not even wanted here. Young people, I want to talk to you for a minute so the rest of you can go to sleep. Young people, listen to me. If you have a family that loves you, right, with the love of the Lord, and you have a, a sense of belonging, you're blessed. You're blessed. 
I want you to hear me. You are very blessed. I grew up in a Christian home. I always knew going to church. I came to know Christ when I was seven. But there was not one day in my home that I did not have a sense of, I belong to Herb and Mary Ellen Blunt. And we lived at 1600 Sunset Drive. What a great address, right? We lived in Lake Charles, Louisiana. We lived in this three-bedroom, two-bath, or excuse me, a bath-and-a-half home. The bath-and-a-half was awful. Trying to share a half-bath with a sister was awful. Okay. I got five minutes, typically, before school. She took 50. And I said, just give me five minutes, I'll be ready. She takes 50. But, but as I think about my home, there was a sense of, of belonging. I belong here. I never walked through the door going, I don't belong here. That's a simple thing. But how many children today walk through a door and there's no sense of belonging? My friends, listen to me. When you come to Christ, you belong to God. And that's a good thing. I don't know that we can really, really appreciate all of what John is saying here. But we have an identity. We belong to him. But notice we can't skip over the last part. I'm not a skipper. It says we know that we are of God. We belong to him. But we also know this. that The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Listen to me, guys. The God of this age is the enemy. Are you listening to me? Even in the temptation of Christ, when Satan offers him all the kingdoms of the world, Christ doesn't correct him, does he? Doesn't correct him. This world right now belongs to, as we live in, the enemy. Do we need any proofs of that to be mentioned? I mean, it's all over the place. You look at the family today and and how people are wanting to redefine the family today. Well, you know, all these things that are like um, social issues for me, I just simply look at it this way. This is what the world says, and they're following the leader, even though they don't, may not even know it, who is Satan. I follow the Lord. So it's not, well, I wonder what, you know, those bracelets that came out years ago, what would Jesus do? I'd rather say, what did God say? I'm just kind of weird that way. Make a new bracelet. What did God say? He already said it. He already said, this is the family unit. That's what he's already said. Say, yeah, but we're in the 21st century. We need to catch up. Seriously? God has already said. God has already said about a lot of things that we could discuss today. You know what those things are. God's already said. I look at it and go, well, yes, this world is a reflection of the evil one. But I, want, I got good news for you. One day, the church is going to be taken up to be with the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says we'll forever be with him. And then there's going to come a day when the church is going to come back with the Lord Jesus to the earth to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And you know who's going to be set up as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in that time period? Jesus Christ. Judge and jury. 
Well, there's good news for us as family members. If you belong to the Lord, you have an identity. You belong to God. Listen, in your worst day, you know, me putting a vehicle on a tow dolly is not a really good day. But in my worst moment yesterday, which I had a moment at Firestone, I wasn't too happy. I've been Clarksville too. In my worst moment, I could say, you know what, Lord, this is just a dumb vehicle. I belong to you. That good? So listen to me, teenager. You have moments in your home. I know I remember being a teenager a few years ago. And I know there are moments, but at the end of the day, if you can walk away and say, I belong to a family just in our culture, that's a good thing. But if you as a young person can say, I belong to the family of God, that's a whole lot better. So I would encourage you, young person today, just because you live in a family with a family who belongs to God does not mean that you belong to God. That's hard to hear, isn't it? But you need to know that you belong to the Lord. I hope you do, young person. I love you with all my heart. And there's nothing more that I want for you but that you would come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I believe that the Lord's coming soon. And we know it's at least a day closer than it was yesterday. So I would encourage you to think about your own identity. And don't let your peer group, one more thing, young people, don't let your peer group define that for you. That'll be a temptation. All right. So there's family security. There's a family identity that we have. And then lastly, in verse 20, as a member of the family of God, this is a unique one. I tried to come up with a different word, but the Lord wouldn't let me. He's like, Dad, this is the word. Um, as a member of God's family, we have discernment. <laughs> now, here's the question. We've been given the mind of Christ, the Bible tells us. We have this new nature in us. We have a new mind. Are we... Is that our go-to, right? This new mind that we have. Um, it would be nice to say that everyone in the body of Christ has discernment. I don't know that that would be accurate. But the ability to discern is there. Because you have the new nature in you. And John points out that as a member of the family, we have discernment. And you know what? I'm just going to share something with you. Flip to 21 just for a second, please. Verse 21. Can y'all, is it that complicated? All right, verse 21. Little children, born ones, ones who belong to the Lord, guard yourselves from idols. All right, now go back to 20. When you look at 21, if you're just to read that at face value and not read anything before that, You'd be like, why in the world is he ending with those little words? Well, I think I know. And I want to share it with you this morning. Notice what he says, verse 20. And we know, without a doubt, same word as he used in 19. Same word that he used in 18. He says, we know that the Son of God has come. Well, who would know? That takes us all the way back to chapter 1. Do you know that? Isn't it great how that stuff happens? We know that the Son of God has come. Well, John sure did as the apostle. 
You say, well, how do we know that? You remember chapter 1? What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning who? The Word of Life. The Lord. (laughs) And it says, life was manifested. We have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. How blessed was John and the apostles. You ever wanted to kind of think, well, man, it would have been awesome to walk with the Lord, be one of those guys? Would have been. But I can say that I'm thankful I live in the 21st century and that, you know what, I have faith. My faith and my hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ who was with John and the other apostles. But notice what it says, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come. John knew that. And has given us understanding. That's the word discernment. That's where we get the word discernment. And has given us discernment. Why have we been given discernment? Boy, oh boy. Listen, you need to listen to this. Radar's up. So that we may know him who is true. That word, no, there's a different word. It's the word gnosko. It means to know by experience. He has given us discernment so that we may know him by experience who is what? Aletheia, true. Oh. Oh, hold on a second. I might be getting to where I'm understanding a little bit more of verse 21. Because there is one true God. And John just mentions that word true one time. No, he doesn't. You ever thought, man, these guys just kept writing about the same things over and over again? Yes, because we are stubborn and we need to hear it over and over again. And he's writing to these believers and he's saying, listen, we have discernment. So that we might know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his son Jesus Christ, this is the true God in eternal life. What's John saying? We know the true God. There is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ himself in that uh, dis- uh, uh, dissertation in John 14 through 17. He said, make, comes to the point where he says, I and the Father are what? We're one. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Guys, there is one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you listening to me? One true God. And we know that without a doubt. And it's with joy that we can confidently say there is one true God. Now, what are the implications of that? What are the implications of that one true God scenario? Well, we need the discernment to be able to hear what's going on in the world. What's going on in the world today as it relates to a one true God? Well, it's the same kind of as in the first century. In the first century, John and the other apostles were met with a culture of polytheism. Multiple gods. There's a god for this, there's a god for that, there's a god for 
You know, the rainbow, there's a God for the stars, there's a God for the sun, there's a God for the moon, there's a God for you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, there's a God for everything. Right? And you need to call on those gods. You remember in the Old Testament, at times when the Lord told Israel, get rid of the high places and the altars, Israel was always faithful to do that, weren't they? No, they weren't. Now listen to me. It's interesting to me that in the context of a believing audience, John is saying, born ones, guard yourselves from idols. Why? Why is he saying that? Because the temptation is for us who are born ones to have idols, meaning having something in front of God. You say, oh, I'd never do that. I've been guilty. I'll just throw myself out there. I've been guilty. Do you want me to rehearse the idols I've had in my life? Sure you do. Right? You want to know that. At one point in my life, football was an idol. Not anymore. Don't get me wrong. like my Razorbacks. But football was an idol. I worshipped it. You say, how do you do that? You mean you bowed down? No, I didn't do all that. But it became a bigger priority to know the score of a Dallas Cowboys game than reading John. I remember dealing with that. 1992 NFC Championship game. The Dallas Cowboys are playing the San Francisco 49ers. We had church at Berean Bible Church at night back in those days. I didn't want to go to church. I was on staff. I mean, I was associate pastor. I didn't want to go. I'm just being honest with you. This is how idle stuff works. And it's hard to be honest, but I'm just being honest with you. I'm like, I don't want to go to church. I want to watch Cowboys and 49ers. Well, obviously, I could never get away with that. So I go to church. Is my heart there? You answer for me. Well, no, it's not. I'm thinking about nachos and cheese and watching the Cowboys, right? Add a little food, it makes it better. Well, then I'm sitting there and Phil is preaching. Who's faithfully prepared to preach and teach the Word of God. And I'm sitting there going, man, I wish I was in my office listening to the radio or at home watching TV. You say, that, that's awful to admit, just being honest with you. I sin. I don't know if you've ever sinned. I sin. And so I, I, I was sitting there and I was in sin. There was an idol in front of the Lord. So, game ends. I didn't go up. I didn't talk to you. Now, listen to me. There's 400 or so people at this church. I talked to no one. Was that the right thing to do? No. I got out of my chair. I went and made a beeline, going down the hallway, down to my office, flipped the radio on. I wanted to know who won the game. Took 10 minutes for him to announce the score. Of course, because I wasn't doing the right thing. See, they announced the score, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I was excited because the Cowboys won the game. But it was a few years later that I was in the same position somewhat, and I'm like, man. Spirit's just like, hey, Thad, you ever had that moment? 
and I confessed it for what it was. I said, Lord, I've made this an idol. Your family can be an idol. Are you listening to me? Your family can be an idol. Your job can be an idol. John's just saying in real simple terms, we serve and know the one true God. Guard yourselves from anything that you would put in front of that one true God. Anything. We can't say, well, this list isn't as bad as this list. No, 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 no. He says, guard yourselves from idols. You know what? I think we struggle with that. And I think we need prayer for that. I think we need to pray for each other in that. It's interesting, and I want to just share this with you before I finish out. He says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. You know that word guard's an interesting word. I just love to do word studies, but it's important, I think. The word guard is a picture of a Roman garrison. A Roman garrison was up to about 5,000 soldiers. So this is what he's saying, and this is the only instruction in this particular section. Little children, garrison yourselves from idols. Don't allow anything to be put in front of the Lord. Well, to be honest with you, I didn't know quite how I was going to end this morning. So I just said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And he's just giving it to me, so I'm going to do this. I want you to have an opportunity to respond. We don't do this a whole lot. I think that the Lord could be honored from this. I don't think there has to be a, you know, I grew up in the day and age where there was, you know, 50 verses sometimes of just as I am. And until you got the one person, you couldn't go home. Um, I just think it's important for us to have some time to reflect. Just ask the Lord to work in us, right? To show us kind of that Psalm 139 thing. Show, show me what's going on in my life, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. And um, if there needs to be confession, as we learned, the Bible says that the Lord forgives. So I want to just ask you to bow where you are. Just ask the Lord to examine you, and I'll do the same thing. And then Ron's going to come and lead us in a closing song, and I'll come back up and close us. All right? Father, I know in my life that there have been many idols. That's the truth. Not ones that I'm trusting in for my salvation, but ones that have been in front of you in terms of my priorities and my sanctification. And um, I confess that before these folks that I love. Um, it's happened in my life, and, and it just reminds me that... Um, you know, I'm like Paul was. The very things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. So I'm human. I'm thankful for the new nature because at least in that I understand what your will is. 
And so there is the spirit that convicts and corrects and all those things. But I would admit freely in front of these folks that, um, you know, the flesh is weak. And um, I want to live for you. That's my desire. And I don't want to put anything in front of you. But at times in, in my flesh and my weakness, that happens. And I confess that and ask you to help me in that. I know that this is a, it's a hard way to end, kind of, because anytime you're asking someone to reflect, it's hard. But we're thankful for your forgiveness and your grace. We don't want to neglect those things, but at the same time, we have responsibility. You, you have clearly outlined for us through John that you want to fellowship with us, and that fellowship is hindered when there are other things in front of you. So... How we achieve that balance, well, that's very difficult for us to understand in our minds. But we know that um, you desire that every day we would walk with you and that we would um, draw near to you. And you tell us in your word, if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. So help us to do that and help us to encourage one another today as we think about being members of the family of God. Nothing like it. You're never going to divorce us. You're never going to leave us. Your word tells us um, you will not forsake us. So thank you so much for your word. Thank you for our journey through 1 John. I pray that we would continue to honor your word as we gather together on, on Sundays to worship you. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. There you go. We're going to sing a song that many of you will remember. and We've enjoyed singing uh, concerning the family of God. Let's all stand. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Let's sing together. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join hands with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family. I don't remember what year I first started singing. I love that song. And I trust that you know when you leave today that you're part of the family of God. And if you're unsure, I'd love to take some time and, and talk with you about how you can become a member of the family of God. All right? You are dismissed.